Hope you've had a good week. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And if you have the bulletin, I'd encourage you to grab the sermon notes out as that will help us this morning be organized and be together. Before I start, I just want to say a word about these young people that we were so blessed to have with us this morning. I just want you to know my heart, and I think it's your heart as well, we need to be very, very thankful to God to have young people in our midst. We need to be very, very thankful to God to have a mission that reaches students, children, and their families. You know, the the likelihood of someone coming to faith in Christ after the age of 18, 21 is nearly impossible. Now, that's not to say God doesn't transform hearts and bring people to himself. That's not to say that God can't take an adult who is walking away and and reshape their life and save them by his grace. God can change any heart, amen? But the likelihood that that happens after the age of 18 or 21 is very, very low. And I believe firmly, and I think you believe it as well, any church that has a mission and a vision to see the kingdom of God expanded will invest heavily in ministering to children, students, and their families. They will. We can focus attention on ourselves as adults, our our preferences, our desires, what fits our needs. But if we really want to be kingdom-minded, gospel expansion-minded, we would put every bit of our investment in serving students, children, and their families. Now, let me just say a word here. You are doing that, but we could do it some more. You're doing that. I mean, was that not proof positive? Was that not evidence? Was that not what you needed to see to say, we are investing in the lives of students. We're giving them opportunities to hear about Christ, to learn what it means to be saved. We're doing that, but we could always do more. And I would encourage you, just take every opportunity to thank Austin, thank the leaders who sacrificed time this weekend, who gave up their homes. I thank the the, the ones who sponsored the students, the families who brought them and provided for them. I'm telling you, there is no wasted investment when you invest in the lives of young people. And I'm so thankful that you're doing that. Uh, Well, this weekend has been about teenagers, and I was so happy to spend some time with them on Friday night. I got to go over to the service with them, my sons and I. And it was great to be in that environment, as Austin mentioned, 1,100 teenagers worshiping the Lord. And But before they went into the sanctuary, they had to feed 1,100 teenagers. That takes a little bit of effort, doesn't it? Uh, Because teenagers, no matter if you have one, two, or 1,100, teenagers can get hungry. We have a couple in our house and, you know, we got to keep the groceries coming, amen? You know, they, they go into the kitchen, they go into the cupboards, and they... They do damage. They eat things. And and I don't know, maybe you've had a teenager growing up in your house or maybe have one presently. Sometimes they'll go into the cabinets, go into the fridge, and they'll say this. There's nothing in here to eat. You ever heard that phrase? Oh, my, my, my. You know, they, they go into the pantry, they pull open, and there's all kinds of things. There's nothing in there. 
Then they go over to the refrigerator, they open it, and they stare as if food is going to appear. Miraculously, it's already in there, but they just look up, down, you know, kind of side to side. Then what do they open the freezer? Like they're going to cook anything. There's nothing in here to eat. My dad, my, uh, my brother and I, of course, would say that. And, and he had a comeback every time. He would say, well, if you get hungry enough, you'll find something to eat. Uh, but but what, if, what if you couldn't find anything? And you went an hour, two hours, three, four, five hours. Have you ever gone from hungry to hangry? Do you know what that phrase means, hangry? It's the combination of being hungry and angry. You're now hangry. And we even learned a new phrase yesterday on our house. We're going from hungry to hangry to mangry. We're adding moody in it. So you're hungry, you're angry, and now five, six, seven hours goes by and you're moody. Does that sound like a teenager? Mangry? Well, what if you couldn't find any food for a day, two days, three days? What if we couldn't find any food for a week, two weeks? What if you couldn't find any food or you are hungry, hangry, mangry, any of those words for 40 days? What if starting today you have no food until the middle of April? Let's say April 15th, tax day. Do you think you'd be a little hangry? Think you'd be a little mangry? Would you be hungry? We're in this series called The Chef's Table, and we were looking at the table as a metaphor of God's invitation to us to to come into relationship with Him and to, to be at the table with Him and to be in His presence and to commune with Him. And we've been in the Old Testament the last few weeks and we've, we're shifting now to the New Testament and I actually want to spend a few Sundays in the life of Jesus and look at events in his life that specifically speak to our theme verse, which is from Matthew 5, 6 that says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. You've learned the theme verse. And this morning I'd like to start in Matthew chapter 4 which is one of the very beginning places in Jesus' earthly ministry. It's one of the opening scenes that we have that give us information about who Jesus is. And, And just to set us up here, the Bible is full of information about Jesus' birth. The angels, the shepherds, the wise men, the virgin conception. And then we have one other little scene in Jesus' life at age 12 where he goes into the temple and he says unto his parents, why are you looking for me? I must be about my father's business. But then from age 12 to age 30, there's really zero information about Jesus in the Bible, in the Gospels. There's this blank period where we don't really know much about what took place in his life. But then upon John the Baptist's preaching and upon the proclamation that the Messiah was to come, the forerunner, John the Baptist, preparing the way of the Lord, you then have Jesus entering into the scene. He's 30 years of age. We have him being baptized by John in the River Jordan and then flows right into what we're going to read now in Matthew chapter 4. 
This is the very early stage. And Jesus, in his fullness of man, in fullness of God, is going to be tempted by the enemy of God. Jesus is going to be tempted as we are tempted. He's going to be tempted as a man is tempted, a woman is tempted, a human is tempted. And he's not going to be tempted by some aloof outsider. He's going to be tempted by the very enemy of God, that fallen angel Satan who we saw in the Garden of Eden. And we're going to learn something about hunger. We're going to learn something about temptation. We're going to learn something about Jesus and we're going to learn something about ourselves. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. I'm going to read the entire temptation, but then focus our time on verse 1 through 4. The Bible says in Matthew 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Circle hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And he answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, verse 10, go away, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him. Focus on verse 1 through 4. Let me just share a few thoughts about temptation, hunger, and our defense against such things. I want to share with you that physical temptation is standard practice for the enemy. Physical temptation is standard practice for the enemy. If you want to know his playbook, if you want to know his plan, it's primarily through physical temptation. It's standard practice. Look back at verse 1 and 2. And and let me just unpack this for a minute. It was Jesus, the Son of God, being led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy of God. This was a plan. It's one of those pictures where we have in the Bible where the Holy Trinity is somewhat on display. We don't have a lot of those pictures, but we have a few where God the Son is being led by God the Spirit. Even though they are united, they're distinct. Like in the baptism of Jesus where God the Father says of God the Son, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And a dove descends as the form of the Spirit. God the Father speaking, God the Son in the water, God the Spirit in the form of a dove. Can you see all piece, three pieces? 
Here, it's God the Son being led by God the Spirit, and he's being led to be tempted. Now, you would think, why would the Spirit of God lead the Son of God to be tempted by the enemy of God? Well, there's a purpose here. There's something that's going to be on display. And he's being led into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness, as you remember, is not a jungle, it's not a forest, it's not some beautiful backcountry. This is a desert, desolate place. No water, no shade. Heat, dirt, sand, sun. This is not Jesus taking a spiritual retreat or a holiday. This is direct confrontation. But what I want you to notice in verse 2 is that the temptation does not come on day one, does it? Jesus is by himself, no doubt. He's in the wilderness. But does the temptation of the enemy come on day one? No. Does it come on day two, three, four, five, 10, 15, 20, 30? No. Temptation comes 40 days into the journey. 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus is fasting, and then the temptation comes. Can you anticipate that you might be a little hungry after 40 days of fasting? Can you anticipate that you might be a little hangry, (laughs) a little mangry? Moody, hungry, angry? Yeah, you better believe it. And then the physical attack is going to come. Jesus is going to be attacked physically after 40 days of physical exhaustion. And friends, let me tell you, this is what I want you to know. The same tactic of the enemy at Jesus is the same tactic he has on us. He will attack you when you're physically weak. He will use physical temptation as a way to get you in a trap. See, this body we have, this mortal flesh, it can be at odds with our moral conscience, can it not? Maybe you've had this experience where your body wants something, it urges, it's nudging you, it's leading you into something that you know spiritually, morally, you want nothing to do with. And there's this war that plays out. The Apostle Paul will refer to it as the flesh and the spirit at war with one another. Maybe this is not unique to to me alone, but I feel like at times, like an old cartoon, there's an angel on one side and a little demon on the other. Remember those cartoons? And I'm in the middle and they're fighting. They're warring. The flesh and the spirit are in battle. Maybe I need to give you an example or two, to describe this war, this physical temptation. Friends, is there such things as sexual temptation in our world? Well, that's physical. Sexual temptation outside of the boundaries and the guidance of God's holy union, man and woman, for one lifetime, is there temptations to be involved in sexual pleasure before marriage, outside of marriage, prostitution, pornography, you name it. Do we have physical temptations, friends? Let's just say it out loud. Yes, we do. The Apostle Paul will write in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin is a A sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. 
Paul says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Paul is describing something that every single person experiences. And we may say, well, it's more for men. That is not in any way true. Well, it's more for young people. No, that's not true. You know, I've done more pastoral counseling of older adults dealing with physical sexual temptation than I have with teenagers dealing with physical sexual temptation. Well, Shane, that doesn't sound right. It's because we don't talk about it. We don't share those experiences. What other physical temptations are there? Well, there is gluttony. Well, that's the one the Baptists never ever talk about. We never want to mention the fact that we can be completely consumed with destroying our physical bodies with food, urges, desires, longings. Well, let me tell you, if, if you don't believe me about sexual temptation and gluttony, well, what about the addictions in our world? You know, that's a bodily urge. I want the pills. I want the tobacco. I want the nicotine. I want the caffeine. I want the, the, the freedom from, from this pain. And so I'm going to opioid myself to death so that I don't have to feel anything anymore. I want it. My body wants it. I want the alcohol. I want the drugs. I want the marijuana. I want the crack cocaine. Oh, Shane, well, that doesn't happen at Cecilia Baptist Church. Friends, it's happening in every corner of our world. Again, we might not talk about it. But there's these battles that go on. These battles. And friends, I'm going to say it's physically driven. There are battles that are happening in your body, my body, that are going to put us at odds with God's will and God's way. And we just have to identify them as our body at war with our spirit. But we also need to understand that physical weakness is standard practice of the enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Paul writes, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Listen to this. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Does the enemy of God have schemes against, his, against people? You better believe it. Paul writes in verse 12 of Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against this thing, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the comic cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Friends, you're not in a battle just with your body. You're in a battle with the, the darkest of forces. And there's nothing the enemy wants more than to bring the follower of Christ down. You know, we, we always think the enemy of God is after the atheist or the agnostic or some tribe that's still worshiping idols. The enemy doesn't give a flip about those that are worshiping false gods. He's got them in the back. The enemy wants to attack the follower of Christ. Because when he destroys them, their witness and their testimony will destroy others. You see, physical temptation is part of 
the enemy's standard practice. And let me bring you to the second thought, the second truth. And the tempter will capitalize on moments of weakness. Capitalize on moments of weakness. He will really use that as the moment when the attack comes the hottest. Verse three of our main passage, Matthew four. Then the tempter approached Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. 40 days Jesus is without food. 40 days and 40 nights on this journey. And then the attack comes. He's weak. He's physically weak. He's been alone for a long period of time. And then the attack comes. And he invites him to turn stones into bread. I bought this last Sunday after church. Looks pretty good, doesn't it? I've left it out in a cabinet all week. Took it out of the plastic. This thing could hurt somebody. It could really, really hurt somebody. You load that thing up like a... Right there, you could hit a home run with this brick. It's rock hard. Now, it's not looking appealing to you now that you know it's been out for a week, kind of been exposed to the elements. But what if you hadn't eaten for 40 days? Would this look pretty tasty? Oh, you better believe it. And so the enemy is going to come to Jesus and he's going to invite him, challenge him to turn rocks into this. And and let me just say this to you. It's not a question of if Jesus can turn the rocks into stone, is it? No. It's not a question of can he. It's a question of will he. Because Jesus can and did turn water into wine. Jesus can and did turn a lunch sack into food for thousands. Jesus can and did turn a violent storm into a gentle breeze. He can and did turn a dead man into a walking miracle. It's not a question of if Jesus can, it's if Jesus will. And I would say this to you, it's not a question of can you stand up to temptation, it's a question of will you stand up to temptation? In your physical weakness, in your moments of weakness, it's not can you, the answer is yes, you can. The question is, will you? Will you stand up? Because we need to recognize who is after us, what's after us, what's on the line. 1 Peter 5, 8, the scripture says, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, keyword, your adversary, the devil is prowling like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. It's not can you stand up, it's will you stand up? And he's gonna try to capitalize on this moment of weakness. Jesus was hungry. He was tired. He had been alone. And that's when the enemy will attack you. When you're physically weak, when you're tired, when you've been alone. Friends, I have one last thought for you. You have a defense, and it's the same defense that the Messiah has. The hidden word of God is our best defense. The hidden word is our best defense. Verse four tells us that 
when Jesus is challenged with, if you are the son of God, turn this bread into stone, no matter how hungry you are, Jesus, how tired you are, no matter how weak you are, no matter how much you want this bread, you're putting a test on the shoulders of Jesus and his answer is our answer. His weapon is our weapon. His defense is our defense. He says to the enemy, it is written. Man must not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you know what verse he's quoting? He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three. Fairly obscure verse from Deuteronomy. I don't know, how many of you have verses in Deuteronomy memorized? I have one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's it. I can't name one of the verses in Deuteronomy. Apparently, Jesus had several because if you actually look at all the temptations, all three of them, one after another, he quotes three passages from Deuteronomy. In each of the attacks, in each of the waves of the enemy, he responds with a quote from Deuteronomy. And this is what I want you to know. It's not like he opened up his Bible and goes, okay, uh, Satan, give me just a minute. I got to find a verse. I got a good one in here. Got a good one in here. Oh, okay. Here, here. Gotcha. Deuteronomy 8.3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. He doesn't have an app he can pull up and do a Google search. He doesn't have a little post-it note like I have, a little index card stuck in my Bible with key verses for me to remember from time to time. This little guy. Where does it come from? This comes from his heart. It's a spiritual discipline that Jesus has put to use that when he's attacked, it's the impulse of reaction. It's not a thought, not a plan. It just comes out. It just responds. It's an impulse. He knows exactly how to defeat the attacks of the evil one, and it's the practice that you and I can also utilize. It's just by hiding God's word in your heart so that when you're attacked, when you're weak, when you're really, really tempted, you just have God's word to fight back with. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verse 9 through 11, and this was my encouragement to the young people this morning. Psalm 119, verse 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? Important for a bunch of young people, isn't it? How can a young man, a young woman keep their way pure? By keeping your word. Verse 10, I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I'm following you, God. Don't let me get out of sorts. Verse 11, I have treasured, I have stored, I have kept secure your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. It's the image of a, of a little lockbox, like a little girl might have under her bed that's got trinkets and tokens and little memories that she locks up with the key and it slides it and hides it away. It's treasuring God's word. It's storing God's word. It's hiding God's word so that on impulse, when you feel weak, when you feel tempted, when you feel attacked, you have something embedded in you that's ready for defense. It's been hidden there. The Apostle Paul will use a different word picture. He'll say in Ephesians 6, what we read earlier, 
verse 13 through 15. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having prepared everything to take your stand. Here it is. There's gonna be evil coming and you're gonna need to resist it. What must you have done? Well, you gotta get prepared. And you gotta get prepared to be able to stand. And what do you gotta do? Verse 14, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. Do you see the picture? I I think of a police officer in that belt that they have around their waist. Or maybe for some of you, I see Batman in that utility belt, you know? Tools, gadgets. Those police officers walk around and there's so much stuff on their belt, their arms are like this all the time. They can't even put their arms to their side because there's all this equipment, all this necessary tools. Paul says, if you want to be able to stand against the devil, if you want to stand against an evil presence, if you want to stand against temptation, you've got to prepare something. You've got to prepare that belt of truth. You've got to hide God's word in your heart. You've got to knit it in there so that when you need it, it will come in an impulse. I, I had a situation a few years back where this became true in my life. I was on a mission trip with teenagers. I was the youth pastor. We had been about seven days away from home with our students, and it was the last day of the trip. All the students had packed up, got their sleeping bags, their luggage, out there by the church van, about 50 teenagers and leaders. And I go to get in the van and I've lost the keys. And I remembered the night before, one of my teenagers named Brandon had come and said, Shane, I need to go into the van and get my CD player. This is back in those days, right? It's been a few years. So I was like, okay, here's the keys. And I gave him the keys. And he goes and gets a CD player. And guess what? I never got the keys back. But my mind was focused on other things and dealing with other issues. And the keys were lost. We had been seven days on this mission trip, 50 teenagers. They're all ready to go home. They're all tired. They're all cranky, talking about mangry. They're moody, upset. No, we're not going home. I mean, they're crying. This, if, if we had cell phones in that time, they would have texted all their parents, and I would have lost my job. So we all, 50 of us, go on this scavenger hunt of this place we were staying, looking for the keys. I mean, we're everywhere. We're looking under this and looking under that. And folks are all just, okay, you go here, you go here. Well, one of my adult leaders by the name of Dan, he and I are going to go into the office where maybe the lost and found had been where the keys had been placed. And we get coughed to this little side hallway and he gets in my face. I have to tell you a bit about Dan. Dan was a big dude, big, massive man. Prior to coming to faith in Christ, he had been a bouncer at one of the Texas honky-tonks. He had a chipped tooth. He looked like a guy named Brutus. That's the only thing I can explain. Just a big dude. And I'm kind of looking up at him, and he's getting in my face, pointing his finger telling me all kinds of things I've done wrong, starts using profanity. Now, I'm little. 
but something was coming out of me. I could feel it in my gut, like a, like a fire. And it was pulsating. I, I, I was planning things in my brain about how to get him down a level. I was going to take the legs so that we could be eyeball to eyeball, and I was going to bust his face. It might not have lasted long. He would have, he would have won the day, no doubt about it. But I'm thinking, I'm going to get in a few good shots. Y'all are thinking less of me, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pastors have those same feelings. Yeah. But I mean, he's in my face. He's giving me all these, saying these things. Beepity, beepity, beep. And it's just fire. I mean, it's like this fire. Now, I felt like I, I had... I was about to take one of those video game power pellets and go, da 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 It's go time, Dan. Me and you, bro. And this flame got right up to my lips. I mean, right up to my lips. And a scripture verse came in my mind. How dare the Holy Spirit of God get in my way. And this was the verse from 1 Peter 2, 23. Though he was insulted, he did not insult in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. I don't even remember studying that verse. But just right when that fire, man, right when that fire was right on my lips and the passion was about to explode and I was about to get into a physical altercation with one of my adult leaders on a youth mission trip. Though he was insulted, he did not retaliate in return. Even though he was threatened, he, he trusted himself to the one who judges justly. And just like a wave, a wave of God's spirit came over my life. And I just said, Dan, let's just find the keys. So we go into the office and there in the lost and found are the keys. We get on the bus get those kids home, everybody's happy. And then when we get all the students unloaded, all the equipment unloaded, everything put back, I remember, oh my gosh, I brought Dan. I gotta take him home. <laughs> and he would tell you this story. It's a, it, I'm not embellishing it one bit. So his house is only like five, six minutes away. It felt like we drove for hours. Just he and I in the little car. I finally get into his house and he gets his bag out. He sticks his head back in the door and he said, Shane, I'm so, so sorry. And my response was, Dan, all is forgiven. All is forgotten. When I left that church, you know who my very, very best friend was? It was Dan. It was Dan. The guy who got in my face, cursed me out, who I was thinking of ways to chop off his legs became my very, very best friend in ministry. But it was not that I wasn't attacked. It's that God's word had been hidden in my heart at some point in the past so that when the impulse and the attack came, there was a defense. Such that it did not ruin me and did not ruin our relationship and did not ruin my future ministry. Can you imagine if I physically assaulted a youth leader? You think I'd be here today? No. On a mission trip? What would that have said to my teenagers? 
What have that said to my church? I'm just saying to you, brothers and sisters, you have to be aware that you will suffer physical temptation. And it will come in moments of desperate weakness, but you have a defense, and it's God's word hidden in your heart. So the question is, are you prepared? Do you have the belt strapped around your waist? Do you have the word treasured in your heart? Are you ready to stand up against an enemy who will come upon you in moments notice? Let's pray together. I'm just going to ask you to take a minute and just do a little self-searching. Maybe you recognize there is some physical temptations that have roped you up like the teenagers described this morning. There's only one way. There's only one way to begin to receive freedom from that and it's by confession and repentance and laying those down at the foot of the cross. That's the only way that it begins to find freedom is by acknowledging that you've been bound up and that there's only one way for freedom to come and that's through the Savior. Maybe others of you said, Shane, I'm actually, I'm, I've, I've experienced some temptation and I recognize it happens when I'm at my physical weakness, when I've been alone, when I'm weak, when I'm by myself. And you just need to recognize that strength comes in numbers and you need to make some different decisions so that you can be obedient to God and not be enslaved to sin. Maybe you just say, Shane, well, it's, it's the very truth that I do not have God's word hidden in my heart and therefore the attacks of the enemy are unable to be defended. Maybe today you just need to commit to taking God's word in and, and putting some verses deep in your heart, putting them in, your, in your, your treasure chest so that you have something to arm yourself with. I'm not sure what the decisions will be, the, dis, the word of the Spirit to you would be, but I just pray that you would respond appropriately to whatever God has said. Father, I just come to you now and I pray that you would use whatever I've been able to offer through your spirit to speak to people. I pray that you would use us. Be make us the kind of folks that have a defense when the attacks come. Lord, I'm not sure what you need to do now in this time of response, but I trust you to do it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Would you stand?